that wizard came from the moon. Welcome to Purple Dungeon Squid, the podcast for gamers that toke. If you love the green and you love the screen, then you're in the right place, friend, because we're here to shoot the breeze on some dank strains and some video games. This week on Purple Dungeon Squid, we go bananas for pre-rolls and expose our lady friends to Mario Tennis. Andy embarks on a japanese voyage into the heart of Super Dragon Ball Heroes World Mission, and Dan's been navigating astral wreckage in Void Bastards. High Times throws us some solid information about kids and smoking the reefer, and put away your aspirin because weed feels good, man. The world lines up once again to find Mancrick's wife as WoW Classic launches, and we look at some of the promising titles coming to a store near you in September. We'll also be settling in for our smoke sesh, so stick around for that because it's going to be a good, good time. I'm your host, Andy, and with me as always, the one... The only, the tang to my orange juice, Dank Dan. Andy, I'm not sure if it's our leaky airlock or if I'm just having a good time, but I'm seeing vapor in our cockpit. Oh, yeah, that's just that's just the jewel I've become addicted to with the rest of uh, the nation's youth. Andy, have you been have you been vaping? <laughs> I've not. No, sadly, sadly, I cannot vape as nicotine uh, really wreaks havoc upon my whole central body of nervous. I see. I see you've gotten a little bit of that vapor into your bloodstream. Yeah. Yeah. Right there. Well, 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 pal, I got to tell you, I have. I'm sorry. I'm so disoriented right now because I can see your face and it's making me uncomfortable. <laughs> L- let me ask you a question. That's right. So we're, we're on the old uh, Google Hangouts. Uh, how piratey is my mustache? It's pretty. It's like a nine out of ten piratey. It just needs yeah. a little more curl on the tip. Let me let me t- curl that tip for you, buddy. Well then, that, that'll be fifty dollars American. Uh, listen, buddy, <laughs> can I, I, I Venmo I that shit? I, I don't know what Venmo is because I'm in Canada. What is Venmo? <laughs> I hear Venmo is the. It's like I don't know, it's like PayPal and Uber had a baby. I think that's how someone who's American described it to me. Hey, if you're listening to this podcast, this is the Purple Dungeon Squid, a podcast about weed and video games, um, and uh, many other, unfortunately, many other topics. Oh, they're nonstop. Andy, I, I've switched over to a, a delicious vape, and I've quit smoking completely. Good for you. Good for Thanks, you. Buddy. You've cut back the butts. You've put out uh, put out your last cancer stick. Good for you. This is true. It, it's funny. I knew the time was nigh uh, when my heart was hurting when I went to go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah, that's a sure sign that you're approaching death. Shooting pains into the heart. And uh, it's funny, I've been I've been uh, vaping for a little bit, and I started with those sweet, juicy, juicy vapes. You know what I mean? Like it was a 6% nicotine. It was like uh, cinnamon fairies or whatever. And what I found quickly is that I, my lungs were wet. Oh. And then uh, uh, over some light news reading, it's like 200 cases of deep uh, pulmonary and cardiovascular illness reported in the U.S. and one death. I'm like, uh oh, so I've uh, I've moved from the fairy dust flavors to American spirit. 
Oh, <laughs> you've gone to the tobacco flavors. Yeah, it's funny that you bring it up. So you know what? Um, I'm I'm a little bit divided on the issue because I actually do believe quite a bit in vaping, and and you know, I mean, obviously, vaping in the cannabis world and vaping in the nicotine world are two different things. But um, I've seen enough people in my circle of friends quit smoking fully um, in favor of vapes that you know you just you have to believe in it. I don't, I, you know, the jury's still out on many of the elements of uh of vapor and nicotine um actually it's really more the vapor because as we understand it despite the fact that nicotine does have some uh i don't know what the word is um they use nicotine in a variety of applications uh, such as a pesticide but then they also use garlic for pesticide use i don't really know what that means and Um, i use it in my fettuccine so (laughs) nicotine alfredo uh, mm-hmm. Just for you. Um, yeah. So, you know, the jury's out for sure on, on what the impacts are. Um, I understand that or what I've read is that nicotine is about as innocuous to the human body when inhaled as, say, for example, caffeine. Uh, it's what do they call it again? It's an analgesic analgesic. And those are usually a pain reliever. I think you mean it's endogenous, but I do no, not believe it isn't. No, endogenous. endogenous. No, that's not the word I'm looking for. Oh, well, all right. Regardless, Google it. Google. I'm going to Google this. But regardless, Ah, um, you know, again, not my research, not something that I know to be true. But um, my understanding is that nicotine uh, registers in the scientific community is pretty innocuous. That being said, I'm I must be either allergic to it or have some sort of um, uh, aversion to it in my body because it messes me up really badly. Like I'm not a nicotine addicted person. I quit smoking 15 years ago. Um, but, uh, you know, one little puff on a vape or sure I've tried a jewel or this, that, and the other. Um, and I get very dizzy. My heart starts racing. Um, and, and I just, yeah, it, it doesn't do good things to my body. See, I want to talk to you about this. So I'm I'm blasting my American spirit 40% nicotine, um, you know, oh, just yeah. for the, the more mild vaping. And I'm playing Breath of the Wild and scrolling through the menus, and I got myself a bit of vertigo, like a little bit of dizziness. Like, I was like, whoa. I'm like, this, yeah. is, how, this is how Andy lives his whole life. So I can, so whatever it is in it going on there, I can see that really jamming up your your situation. Yeah, yeah, I do experience vertigo. It's one of the things that cannabis actually, especially like a good dank indica, can actually help me with in some cases. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, uh, nicotine seems to have the exact opposite effect. It'll create um, all manner of havoc. And you know what happens is when you start dealing with vertigo or some other kind of significant impact to your body and well-being, uh, it tends to ratchet up the anxiety, right? You you know, you start you start. Um, yeah, you start going, or I start, I should say, going into a cycle of, of anxiety. And so, uh, yeah, I just, that can be, anxiety can also be aggravated by nicotine a little bit. Really? Uh, yeah, well, race, it's, a, it's a mild racing stimulant. Racing thoughts, yeah. And, and it also causes your uh, vascular uh, system to constrict. So you can raise your blood pressure a little bit, all that stuff. So I can see it causing that for sure, man. I, yeah. Can I tell you what I've noticed uh, after, I'm about 60 days into no no cigarettes? Oh, good um, for you. The smell of like a kind, kind Belmont has gone from like smelling like candy on the wind to now I can smell it three blocks away and I'm like, what is your problem? 
<laughs> Thanks, Karen. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. No, I get it, man. I get it. Um, I'm pretty averse to the smell of tobacco smoke also. And, and you know, I'm sympathetic to it because I have good friends who are still smokers. And so, you know, I, uh, I tolerate it. But it, yeah, it's definitely something that once upon a time smelled great and these days does not. So funny. So great. That said, I do still smoke cigars. So, uh, I mean, somewhere in the middle. Yeah, well, who knows? Maybe you're just uh, just a freak, Dan. Yeah, man. So what's going on with you, homie? Um, well, speaking of freaking, I'm freaking over some pre-rolls, buddy. I, um, You know, it, it's like it's almost... <laughs> what a terrible segue. Let me continue. Um, it's, it's almost comical because I've actively avoided pre-roll cannabis joints. I feel like I have to specify that in case... You know, folks who don't live in a uh, country where you can walk into a legal store and buy cannabis are listening. But um, I've actively avoided pre-rolls for some sort of like prestige reason, I think. Like in my brain, I, I think to myself, ah, am I going to pay a markup for someone else to roll my joints, right? Let me tell you something. Pre-rolls are God's gift to man. They're like a gift from heaven. Yeah, man. You just pull open your pack. So I picked up a pack of um, 42 Degrees is the is the brand. And uh, excuse me, 48 degrees. And um, the uh, the the strain was Granddaddy Purple. And I had to respect it because the the strain name was just Granddaddy Purple. They didn't they didn't call it Smooth Casanova. They just called it Granddaddy Purple. And GDP is one of my favorite strains for sleep. You know, anti anxiety, um, relaxation. It's just an overall fantastic bedtime strain. And the ability to just pull. A, uh, a joint out of a box and light it within three seconds and sit back. And let's be real, guys, no matter how good a joint, joint roller you are, you often will or sometimes will roll a shitty joint. I think everybody does. These ones are perfect every time, Dan. 10 out of it's 10. Re- it's a miracle. Yeah, yeah. I'm feeling no. really good about it. And when you get it, it it just feels like a present that you just gave yourself. Like they're perfectly shaped. They're ready to go. And someone just hands them off to you. And and I I mean, it it just I love that feeling of a perfectly produced cone. And I am not one of the expert rollers in the house. I'm more of a bong man. Uh, And so when you get that just like perfectly isometrically formed uh, behemoth ready to roll, because for me, a joint is when you're on the move. Do you know what I mean? When you're on the move, when you're when you're hitting the streets, that's when a joint is your best friend. (laughs) And it's, it's so happy to have that in hand. Were you in training day? I feel like you were in training day. I was in training no, day. No, that wasn't you. There you you better smoke this or we going to have a problem. You're talking about Denzel, right? No, I'm talking about the other dude, whoever that was. Oh, Chris Walken. Uh, oh, didn't he pass? God rest him. God rest his who? soul. You're thinking about Christopher Walken? No, not Christopher Walken. What The Fast and the Furious guy. What was his name? Paul Walker, but he's Paul not in Walker. any of the films we're discussing right now. Training day. He was in training day. <laughs> no, training he day, was Paul not. Walker. Who no, dude, you're you're thinking it's not Christian Slater, it's the other one. Um Boo. Uh he was also in Gattaca. Gattaca, Ethan Hawke. Excuse yeah. me. Ethan Hawke. How did you put Paul Walker in Training know. Day? Training Day is also from 01. No, but that's that's about the right time cuz uh uh Fast and the Furious came out uh, Fast and the Furious came out. Here's the thing about Paul Walker. He's been exactly zero other films, so it's, he's really easy to track. No, and 01 was when the Fast and the Furious came out. So sorry for conflating those two, but it was pretty easy. Uh, well, so Paul Walker, God rest his soul, is uh, the Ken uh, of the these deep blue eyes and 
gorgeous curly blonde hairs. Uh, you know, Ethan Hawke, totally different man altogether. I'm gonna leave that right there. There leave you that go. Right there. Yeah. Very Thank good. You. So uh, here you've been playing a little Mario tennis. How bougie. I haven't. I haven't been playing any Mario tennis, but I've been uh, gifted on the viewing of it because my sweet sweet lady picked up Mario tennis. And started playing it. I think she's on a quest to play all the Switch um, Mario games. She's already uh, beaten uh, Mario, uh, was it Galaxy? No, that's Odyssey, friend. Odyssey, sure. And then uh, she you, beat... Uh, the, I just want to let you know you're you're the yeah. one of two members of a video game podcast. And that that's may right. be one of the largest releases in the past 10 years. So I'll just put that there as well. Yeah, thank you. Explain and yourself, then, uh, Dan. How do you plead? I, I plead both uh, Ginnocent. In, in, in Ilti? <laughs> sure. Yeah, Sustained. so she's, my sweet lady's been playing it, and uh, the difficulty on uh, Mario Tennis ramps up suddenly. Like, I, I, and I saw, like, in person, and my, my, my girlfriend is a casual gamer, God bless her, and she just ramped up her skills so fast. She's hitting perfectly timed blocks. She's uh, charging up shots with uh, expert timing, and I, I knew that, she had like risen into the ranks of her gamership when I got home and I was putting on some light jazz for dinner. And as I put the, uh, the YouTube search in for doctors, Dr. Saxophone, I see like 10 Mario tennis strategy searches, how to perfectly counter the bomb mom and this and that. And, and she's like calling me. She's like, I don't know. I can't do it. I don't know why. And today she beat Mario tennis and I couldn't be more proud. Nice. That's awesome. Game, set, and match. Exactly. And uh, you know what? It actually looks pretty fun. Now, Mario Tennis is one of the gems. Like, I don't know. Did you not have it on 64? No. I. You know what? Like, I had a limited amount of $64, and zero points of them got spent on tennis. <laughs> yeah. You picked up Perfect Dark. You picked up exactly. Goldeneye. And That's that correct. was it. That was all. Maybe Smash. Maybe I have roughly uh, 30 games, but uh, Smash for sure. Smash is a must-have. Must um uh, what's, uh, uh, oh my God. Uh, today's the gap. It's the gapping podcast. Definitely not Banjo Kazooie. Cause, uh, uh, you're a real hater on that one. What's the, yeah, that was a terrible game for trash people. Ocarina, of course, Majora's. Ocarina of time. I didn't play Majora's mask. My, my eternal shame. Uh, what's the fighting game? With- How have you not played Ma- like Majora's mask? Dan classic we can't game do this. available. We on can't 3DS. do this. We I have a 3DS. I will lend you. I will lend you the, a 3DS. Play the game it, please. Is kill- Killer Instinct. I love that game. Killer Such Instinct. A good six, yeah, it's the uh, it's the like Street Fighter style fighter where uh, you have uh, fighters that have been genetically manipulated. You got Riptor, you got Fulgore, uh, you got Orchid. Uh, you know, Wolfman, Fire Guy, Ice Dude, Glad- Glacius. It's a uh, it's a beautifully uh, rendered rare game. It was on sixty four as well. The Ultra Combo, buddy. I've not heard of this game. It sounds Let me like a see good if one. I can help you out. Killer Instinct Gold. Nothing? No, nothing comes to mind. Oh, wow. You and I are I, both like, our, both our gamer cred scores like falling dramatically. Falling, plumbing, it's, a, plumbing it's a race to the bottom. Yeah. yeah well, I crazy. played Daikatana. That was a real gem. Yeah, it said no one. <laughs> I actually rented Daikatana on launch and was super pumped really? about it because it looked great. Like a lot of folks will make jokes about Daikatana but never actually rented or played it. I seriously approached it in the days pre like major internet involvement and tried to love that game. Like got into it, rented it on a weekend, played it for a good four hours and just dis- discovered the dumpster fire it really was 
organically. So John, Rom- John Romero, who's like a, he was at the top of his game. He was involved in Doom, I believe. He, a beautiful, long-haired beast of a game developer. His next game was so highly anticipated. And I think it was a game that suffered a little bit from feature creep. They just tried to do more and more and more with the title. And it just, it came out like a, it looked a little bit like Quake and it came out like a steaming pile. It was trying to be an RPG and a shooter and it was just glitchy to all hell. And I've never actually picked it up. And actually, no, we have listeners out there that are like scratching their head going, you rented a game? No, was it on PC for you or? Uh, No. What? You're going to follow that up with a uh, platform or just no and silence? No, no. No, it was on 64, man. It was on 64. It was that 64. Oh. Uh, I didn't even know it was on PC. I'm sorry. I was just browsing the Daikatana wiki here. Um, PC is the main some... release for sure. Uh, Daikatana on 64. I don't think so. 100% silence yourself. 100%. And Daikatana on 64 sounds like a fresh hell. That sounds like... Like, uh, you know, a die katana then cut in half and forced onto a 64 cart. Yeah. Yeah. It's like trying to eat a hot dog uh, after it's been trampled by a herd of elephants. And you have no fingers. <laughs> or ethics. Um, yeah. I see w- a Wikipedia here says Microsoft Windows and Nintendo 64, which leads me to believe that uh, Nintendo 64 was the redheaded stepchild of that really terrible already arrangement. A PlayStation version was also planned, but canceled during development because Sony said, nah, to that. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Uh-uh, and, and, like, it was tough to see through the shroud of hype because people at the time were hyped for this. They had a media campaign. People were, uh, like, really anticipating this release, and then... Womp, womp. Yeah, no. let me give you my B tier hit on the N sixty four. Hit me, Army Men, Sarge's Heroes. That game, really? is, oh, nostalgic man. Wonderful game, like just really a beautiful concept where you've got plastic army men, a large array of weapons, missions that are interesting and varied, third person shooter, and they go between realistic battlefield combat, like for, I mean, realistic in the sense of a Nintendo 64 game about plastic army men. They simulate a battlefield, and then you can transition through to portals, excuse me, and play as the army men in, you know, almost a Toy Story kind of setting. So this map is the bathtub, and you've got to work your way around the bathtub to the soap dispenser. It's it's like a really interesting layering uh, that really works. And the multiplayer was a ton of fun, too. So Army Men, Sarge's Heroes, if you're digging out the 64, definitely worth a pickup. So uh, a sleeper hit out of the 64, 1999's Konami release, Hybrid Heaven. What is you this? You ever heard of it? No. Uh, it's one of the most unique titles on the console. It's not that much different from Tomb Raider, but when you encounter a monster, you get like a, a smaller, you move into a smaller room and unleash like a more RPG style, like turn-based attack. Okay. Uh, and it, it actually was really enjoyable. Great soundtrack. It's got a, like a really cool retro uh, sci-fi vibe and it's like worth tracking down for the diehard collector or somebody who's looking to fire up the old 64 again. Yeah. Man, there were so many great games on the 64 and, you know, uh, I just, I had a hard time because I guess five, six years ago, I pulled out my 64 and tried to get into it. And I think it's simultaneously the platform for me that holds the most nostalgia 
and also the platform that is the least replayable from a retro perspective because mm. you're at that awkward time when 3D graphics are coming about. It's the beginning of 3D graphics. Um, you know, it works really well in games like, for example, Banjo-Kazooie still playable. Mario, uh, Super Mario 64, utterly unplayable. I don't care who you are and what you think. That game is an agony to look at. Um, and then, you know, Legend of Zelda uh, and Majora's Mask are both are both passable. But there's so many games in that or on that console that you just you look at and it's just it's just hard. Our memory is so kind to rough graphics. Do you know what I mean? Like we oh, we yeah. do like a, a, a memory style graphical upgrade upscaling of the graphics. Yeah, I think if you're looking for a retro good time, you gotta blast right back to the Super Nintendo Entertainment System sure. to the SNES. That's that's a sweet spot. Well, it's the peak of sprite based gameplay, right? So you've got the NES, which has, you know, the charm of early retro game graphics, 8-bit, yada, yada. But then you get up to, you know, Genesis and um, Super Nintendo levels of gameplay. And it's just, it's so much fun to return to that. It really represents just a great era of gaming. There's a lot of innovation that um, came about in a 2D world, you know. Even you look back at RPGs and the way that, you know, those kind of evolved um, on a 2D platform. And it just, you know, you've got so much good story in games like Dragon Warrior and Final the Final Fantasies um, with graphics that are charming and relatively unsophisticated gameplay. Yeah, you're so right. And if I can draw a comparison, it's like the 64 are your awkward puberty years. It was the console that brought us in to the polygonal 3D world. And it's like it's like when you first get that blast of growth when you're 13, your arms grow four inches before anything else. Else you're gangly, things are out of proportion, but you can tell you're headed to something. This is all going somewhere. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, all right. Um, yeah, Nintendo 64 for me is... Uh, Always going to hold a great place in my heart, but outside of the Zelda games, I don't think I'll be returning to too much there. Um, Dan, it is the end of summer. Summer is over. End it's September summer, now. Yep, call is it. it. I mean, listen, I love fall, but it's always sad to see the sun begin to dwindle away into the dark, cold months of winter. It's funny. Uh, I was I've been running around a little bit. I'm, I'm on my last week of vacation, and uh, you know, I was picking up a couple things, and I'm like, two days ago. People are being incredibly nice to me. I'm parking my car. This lady's talking to me beside her. I'm walking up. People are saying hi. And I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, oh, the children have returned to school today. And it's 11 a.m. So people are like, all the adults with, with child are like, da-da, da-da, da-da-da-da-da-da. Hey. Yeah, the whole world of parenting is like a Viagra commercial on that day. The twisted joy that adults got about us going back to school, you know, and it, it was so disheartening. It'd be like August 1, and they'd be like, hey, are you looking forward to going back to school? And you're like, how dare you speak that word in my presence? <laughs> yeah, there's nothing worse than like, and, and to be fair, it's always, it was fun as a kid. I have fond memories of going and buying back to school stuff. Like the, the actual shop was fun. No, it wasn't. You're, you're a like, psychopath. New no, racers. no, it's like it's like Come shopping on. for the jump. It's like shopping for the jumpsuit that you're going to be electrocuted in. It is not fun. It is not fun. It is a calling, my friend. And the joy, like I'm watching Saturday morning cartoons and like back to school on the first week of August. No, stop this madness. Yeah. Enough. I don't want to hear about school until someone's sliding a Transformers backpack onto me as I'm being shoved out the door to the bus. That's when I want to remember school's a thing. You know. 
Well said. Yeah, no, I agree. The uh, the early back-to-school reminders in the middle of summer vacation, borderline cruel. But, and to be fair, maybe in my household we were a little less organized. We did back-to-school shopping like three hours before school started. <laughs> like, I like that. You know, I like so, that. So it, it worked out quite nicely. And then you get to school, you got your new swag, you got all your things that are going to remain nice for about half a day. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, pencils are chewed, things are lost. The whiteout yeah. tape that you had is being used for obscene purposes. Someone's drawing, you know, dicks in their notebooks, and that's about it. The the fresh set of Laurentian colored pencils, I think that might just be a Canadian thing. Yeah. I, I, and I still remember my grade six, fresh back to the school ensemble. Let me paint a picture for you. It's horrific. Uh, gray hoodie. Matched with gray pants of the same material. And what does it say on the front? Basketball. With a big basketball on it. Is it a team? No, sir. Just the general concept of basketball. And you are asking yourself, Dan, did did you did you hit did you hit a bunch of three throws throws? The answer is no, I'd never played basketball. Oh man, I love it. I love it's you know, it's funny because like and this is super tangential, but like we we're talking about Go back to the early 90s and just recall for yourself all of the random uh, graphics on especially boys. And maybe it's the same Mm -hmm. today. I have girls. I have no idea. But especially boys shirts. You got dinosaurs on there. You got hockey. Trucks. You got spaceships. You got trucks. (laughs) And what is this? Aspirational? Because I don't think our parents actually consulted us on whether or not we gave eight tenths of a shit about a rocket ship. But it's just assumed, hey, kid. Put this on. Maybe someday you'll be an astronaut. You know, I would have rather had, well, probably nothing because I may have gotten beat up a little less. Mm, mm. And, and it was I've seen the picture recently. I was uh, foraging through my father's basement and uh, the the photo is just tremendous. Uh, fresh buzz cut, slightly overweight right before my growth spurt. It was it was a it was a dark era. And how did I feel about all this? I felt like I was slamming B. I was rolling in there, <laughs> high fives all around. DT's nice. back in the house. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah, it's funny. He's got Velcro shoes on. Yeah. No, 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 no. I, I did the loop, swoop, and pull by that time, my nice. friend. Nice, nice. Good See, for I you. I, I, I had an older brother, and the ridicule on Velcro shoes would have been nonstop. But, of course, he saw my gray basketball jumpsuit, and he was like, fresh. <laughs> that's what all the brothers are for so okay. summer's on the way out fall is on the way in let's uh let's go back dan let's let's put on our way put back. on our way back over the last mm. eight weeks top mm-hmm. stone of the summer go off the cuff oh right off the cuff um your brightest uh, bone yeah just after the wedding ceremony at a dear friend's um, right before the reception, there was a kind of mayhem that would afford itself uh, to such an event. And I uh, had just a giant, giant bone that I had rolled up earlier, not pre-rolled, so it could have been prettier. And I like did the head nod to a couple like uh, uh, savvy gentlemen and lady and, and beckoned them because my, my sweet, sweet lady was part of the bridal party. So they're doing all the photos uh, dressed like wood nymphs um, in a glade. And I just sort of, there not a word was spoken, but I gave the the head nod to a couple folks and we, we went behind the reception tent and just burned that down. It, exactly perfectly timed. Oh, nice. Beautiful. Then you have the wedding feast after or? Oh, wedding feast had been long spoken for. Uh. What a shame. Um, yeah, for me, it was a beach day. Perfect beach day on the Instagram feed as I uh, as I look at it. Um, a nice pre-rolled sativa joint uh, sitting on the beach, 
feeling energized by wading through the waves, perfectly sunny day. Um, Really, you know, it could have been any day in the summer, but that specific day, everything just felt right. And isn't it awesome when cannabis lines up with a perfect day? Because sometimes, sometimes cannabis comes at the end of a tough day. Sometimes cannabis comes at a time where you need a little relaxation. And often that's, you know, when the conversation or what the conversation is about. You know, Karen, what ails you? And of, of course, that's subjective based on the person and based on their experience with it. But I don't know too many people who, when they're in a great state and are introduced to a great joint, the right strain, uh, don't have the best time ever. And that was one of those moments. Yeah, it's a situational enhancer. And when you have like a, a joint-shaped space in your day and you have uh, the the Dubinsky to drop in there, it, it's like poetry in motion. That's that's the glory of it. Yeah, and I think that the thing is is that I often don't get an opportunity to smoke during the day. Most of the time when I consume, it is at night, right? It's so after when work. I say the day, I mean the 24 hours of life that we exist in. Sure, I'm talking about the fact that I was on a beach in the sun, and that so rarely mm-hmm. happens for me where I have an opportunity. Oh. Yeah, you know, uh, kid-free, um, you know, responsibility-free, um, no work to deal with at that time. And, you know, two hours to just be myself. And that's, uh, that's a, it's a nice time. I don't get that often. Again, most of my, most of my, uh, my cannabis time is in the nighttime hours. So being out in the broad daylight and experiencing nature, with a little bit of a bone makes me feel it good. It was like the spirit of your youth has been recaptured for a fleeting moment and you remembered what freedom was. I saw that Instagram post and I think I commented on it. I'm like, who are these two? young high school whippersnappers without a care in the world yeah yep <laughs> uh we're getting old dan mm-hmm. me me faster than you buddy trust me oh that is true that is true um this episode of purple dungeon squid is brought to you by weed and video games weed and video games sponsor free you know me also brought to you by lots of tears shampoo Tired of feeling the insufficient tears in the shower while your girlfriend just puts out volumes making you look like a fool? Join her with lots of tears shampoo. It's got mint, pepper, eucalyptus, and spiders. Lots of tears shampoo. (laughs) Well played. Uh, Brought to you by You're Not My Real Grandpa. Release my hand, Stephen. I know you married my great-grandmother after the war. We know the real story. Let me go. <laughs> Brought to you by Sun-Ripened Salmon. Uh, do you miss the delicious stink of a hearty fish that's been left to bake in the sun for 45 hours? Come to the Nordic shores of Surplinsk and enjoy this sun-ripened salmon. You'll shit yourself to death. <laughs> Oh, brought to you finally by tight dress shirts it'll fit no it won't oh wait it will don't worry you don't have to tie up the top button just cinch that necktie short and smile <laughs> tight dress shirts well played uh if you want to actually sponsor the purple dungeon squid podcast Go ahead and hit us up at purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com. You want to let us know about some games you'd like us to play, that'd be just fine. And if you have any suggestions or comments or feedback for myself or Dan letting us know that we're doing great or doing a hate. No. Crime. Oh, well. That's all right. Uh, Go ahead and uh, shoot us an email or something like that. Until then, we'll be doing all this because I'll never stop. No, he won't. (laughs) 
Ooh, Danny boy. Senpai, what's up, my man? Konnichiwa. Konnichiwa. I don't know any more Japanese, but I do know about Super Dragon Ball Heroes World Mission, which may be the longest title that a video game has ever initiated. In fact, I'd be really interested to find out what the longest video game title is. What? I would give it the asterisk. Longest uh, title without a full colon. You know, where it's like, it's like Dragon Quest, full colon, Order of the Rising Moon, you know, something like that. Yeah, I was just talking about you the other day and full colon came up. Yeah, you're talking to my proctologist again. I was wondering, wouldn't it be a great Netflix show to interview like 100 proctologists and find out how they got into proctology? Like, what what point in the medical school they're like, yeah, I'd like to focus on the butt. <laughs> Listen, man, there are many paths through the body, but all yes. roads lead to Rome. And yes, sometimes they do. you need to do as the Romans do. You know what I'm saying? And listen, when you need a butt doctor, you are glad that <laughs> he is there. Need a butt do- <laughs> That's it, man. In demand. Large and what's and funny in is right now we're making the jokes, but we're on, when we're on Dr. Smithwick's table, he's making the jokes. He's making the jokes. We're making the wincing face. Uh, one of the best, one of the best prostate jokes. It's uh, okay, uh, Mr. Smith. I'm gonna check your prostate. Okay, and now I'm gonna use my fingers. Uh, oh! <laughs> <laughs> and then, then, then you're laughing. He goes, "Okay, you need to stop laughing so I can remove my hand." Okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah, I don't look forward to any of that. But aging is a thing. It happens. It happens. Um, you've been playing some video games, Dan boy. I have been known to. Yeah, me too, pal. Me too. I've had so much travel time over the past little bit, and I've been using it to great effect. A lot of the time, you know, uh, get in these travel modes, and um, sometimes you just, even when you're in the midst of sitting on a plane, you're just too tired to whip out the switch. You just want to close your eyes and retreat into oblivion. But I've been a disciplined gamer and have burned my way through quite a few hours of Super Dragon Ball Heroes World Mission, which... uh, yeah, it's uh how can I put this? This is I don't even know if it's a B tier title. This is a mm-hmm. super niche deep cut. Um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I picked up Dragon Ball Fighter Z a little while back. Haven't spent enough time with it. Really love the visuals of it. I'm not the world's biggest Dragon Ball fight or a Dragon Ball fan, but I have an appreciation for it. It's got some cool factor. And I don't know what it was about this game that spoke to me. It's just it's super unique. So do you know anything about it? Have you heard of it before? No, uh, I haven't. I jumped. Off, I jumped off the Dragon Ball, or sorry, the Super Dragon Ball ramp, like on Budokai Three, which is quite good. I think I enjoyed Budokai Three. Yeah, I haven't played it. But I think Budokai Three Tenkaichi for um, PS Two. Yeah, PS Two. That one is in still in high demand, and it looks like a pretty great game. This is not a fighter, though. Oh. So what's weird about this game, Dragon Ball Hero, Super Dragon Ball Heroes World Mission, is it's is it's actually based on uh, almost like an arcade game style uh, game that is popular. It's a style of game that's popular in Japan, but we have I don't think we have any analogies to it here. Basically, it's like a console cabinet, and you purchase and collect cards i believe like you know playing cards tcg cards i think they have some sort of component where you scan them in some way and put them down in the kiosk or machine and then you can use the characters that are on the cards in some sort of game either against other people or against the computer it's a pretty like interesting 
and very Japanesey kind of uh, game, right? So it's got, this it's got a little meta in there. Yeah, it's 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 like it's half a collectible card game, which you know is is a, a the collectible element is a big um, a big theme in Japanese uh, gaming. Got to catch them all and all that good stuff. Um, but it's also got this like go to a place and use the physical items to create the the or to play the game. I don't know. It's it's a neat idea. I had no idea that it existed. Apparently, it's been in existence for a long time, too. It's very popular uh, in Japan. And so basically what they did was they took that whole experience, they removed the physical card element of it, and they, nice. they ported it to Switch. So there's the allure of the game is that, especially if you're a Dragon Ball fan, which admittedly I know maybe 3% of the characters, but there's about 1,000 cards that you can collect, and I think that they're releasing more. And um, there's a bunch of promotional or swaggy ones that you can unlock in the game somehow. And it's just a hard game to describe because it's this phenomenon that's been kind of time capsuled into the game and also comes with a central storyline. And what does that even look like? Well, basically in the game, and believe me, it, it, like I actually had to play this thing for over an hour before I even understood what was happening. A quandary. But, a quandary, for sure. Basic and also a couple bongs, so that sure. <laughs> created a, a greater degree of difficulty in comprehending what was happening, but because <clears throat> it's so unconventional. Basically, the way this works is you collect games or you collect cards as you go through the game and and play centralized story missions, and the, all the gameplay is deploying seven cards. So you you make up a deck of seven cards. And those seven cards translate into seven fighters that you play on a field opposite seven other fighters. And in between rounds, you move your characters into either a, a midfield, uh, a backfield, or an offensive position. Mm-hmm. And you're balancing off power things like power level and character uh, abilities or um, superpowers. There's synergies between the characters, and you're basically setting up your battlefield in a strategic way to nullify the advantages of your opponent and to amplify the advantages of the team you've created. And then you hit basically the go button mm-hmm. and all the fighters, you know, loop leap into this cinematic sequence that's filled with all these quick time events. So like, mm. you know, you've got some, one of the hundreds of variations of Goku fighting like <laughs> Majin Buu and Cell, and they're all like, pummeling each other to pieces and then a quick time event will come up and you've got to execute on it better than your opponent and there's some special abilities that will alter the way that you interact with the quick time event and if long story short the preparation you've done before the round by manipulating your dudes and deploying their secret abilities and the quick time events line up you'll overpower the other dude decrease their stamina limit their possibilities of what they can do it's a very complex game to get your brain around but once you're playing it it has this addictive quality especially because there's so many things to, like you're constantly earning new things right like you just constantly have new shit coming at you and new things you can do the possibilities are so endless and, and wide and it's also a pretty hands-off game so let me ask you this question dan have you ever played a game that's like slightly less involved and that just suits your mood in a way that you can kind of sit back and watch it unfold. Have you ever experienced this phenomenon? 
It sounds like a perfect, like, sleepy airplane game. <clears throat> Reminds me of the Family Guy thing. Uh, the sales guy selling the already filled out coloring book. Color in a coloring book, more like forget that and have a beer. Like, you are playing a game, but only barely, only on the edges. You're more like a game manager. You're overseeing a game at right. a higher level. You're the C-level executive of the game, sort of directing it. You're not wrong. I mean... I'll take it a step back from that because there's still okay. a decent amount of strategy that goes into sure. orchestrating the round. But because so much of the gameplay is dedicated to watching these characters beat the crap out of each other and participating in quick time events, it's not like a first person shooter where you're dialed in or a fighter game where you're anticipating the start of the round and you're going like white knuckle until the end of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Or even an RPG where you're just tacitly involved in whatever uh, whatever task you're in, whether it's grinding or questing or reading dialogue or whatever. This is a game where you do all of your strategic planning, you hit mm -hmm. the go button, and then you mm -hmm. watch things happen and interact a little bit for a while. And I like it. Right. Well, it's kind of like it's it really. So we always talk about whether a game is 420 friendly. This is like after you like understand the game. So like maybe wait to hit the bong until you get it. Right? But after yeah. you get it, it's probably the most 420 friendly game I've ever seen. It's the old uh, the old adage, do the tutorial uh, straight laced. And this that one sounds like you could uh, hit the seventh dimension, you know, mac on a couple of edibles and still have a good old time. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, again, you know, there is some strategic planning in there and, and you, you, you do have to do a lot of adaptation to your opponent's overall strategy because, you know, you've got seven different fighters and you can find yourself in a place where their strategy is to do a whole bunch of damage in the first round. And if you can sustain mm -hmm. that, then mm -hmm. you can kind of whittle them down at the end. And so there's Curl almost up. this like three-dimensional rock, paper, scissors thing going on throughout it. Let me just like let that. me just state this. The storyline is not super good. It's okay. okay. It's kind of yeah. cheeky. Sure. Um, basically, the way it, it works is it's kind of meta. <laughs> You've got this character who uh, moves to this new town and is playing the same Dragon Ball card game that you're playing, right? Sure. But then somehow Dragon Ball characters start coming out of the third dimension and invading the actual world. So it's meta within meta within meta. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's, I told you it was a bong friendly kind of game. Um, right. The storyline's not particularly impressive, but uh, it, if, you, if you're a Dragon Ball fan and you like all of those characters, I could see it being super enjoyable. Um, to be able to interact with so many in that way. Again, I don't know most of them, so uh, I'm skating by on the kind of the appeal of this casually involved game. Um, but if you had absolutely no interest in Dragon Ball, I would say that this is a absolutely avoid. Do, do, do not touch. <laughs> right. You, you know what was just brought to my attention recently? All the Saiyans in Dragon Ball are named after vegetables. What are you saying? So, uh, Goku, his Saiyan name is Kakarot, right? Uh -huh. Carrot. Uh, a carrot. Vegeta uh, is just, his name is vegetable. Raditz, radish, and on and on. They're all named after vegetables. Because Dragon Ball, as a storyline, is just a continual taunt against the people that are reading it. <laughs> like the original, ma the original manga. I've read the original manga. Not the whole thing. I mean, I've read, I don't know 
a I don't know. It's broken up, I think, into like the original Dragon Ball manga is broken up, I think, into 48 booklets, which are each divided Naturally. into like two dozen chapters. Sure. And then there's Dragon Ball Z, which I think is uh, half as many, maybe 20 volumes or something like that. Oh, hold on. Read, slow like, down. I'm, I'm, I'm writing this down. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Pay close attention. I know that this matters to your life overall. Um, but I've read like the first two booklets because I was curious, I think a year ago when we were talking a lot about Fighter Z, and I'd seen the game at, uh, at Evo. Um, I just kind of went on a wavelength and was like, okay, let me learn a bit more about this. Genuinely enjoyable manga. And I'm not a manga guy. I don't read manga. But the uh, the story and the way that it's like phrased and the illustration and the overall kind of weird perviness of it, which is a weird element, yeah. but it's kind of sure. a pervy book. I don't know. Pretty good. Pretty enjoyable. Yeah. And I mean, it, it gives you sort of a feel of the vibe of manga, perhaps at that time. It's a good entry point because it's going to be a teeny bit weird, but it's not going to get like hide it from friends and family weird, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, like it, it was it was illustrated and, and conceived in like the 80s. Right. So you've got that kind of 80s vibe and aesthetic. There's something genuinely magical about um, this foreign, you know, Japanese comic manga with an 80s overtone and coupled with timeless storytelling because still people are still super into the Dragon Ball series now. Um, it's 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 kind of like Dragon Ball has never been a thing that's been so mass that you know you have people all over the place loving it like Pokemon right like Pokemon has gotten to the point of cultural saturation that you got to look sidelong at people who don't like it like yourself like just hello just, really just a weird concept hi there uh, but Dragon Ball still like is has achieved both mainstream appeal in many ways and also is still kind of a deep cut you know it's it's a weird balancing yeah. act Dragon Ball is the gateway drug of manga. Anyone who is like a deep manga head that's listening to the podcast, they remember seeing Dragon Ball in Saturday morning cartoons and they thought to themselves, I hope this doesn't spark something inside of me that's unstoppable, you know, and, and then they're then they're uh, 10 years later, they're reading brother, sister or whatever. Yeah, yeah. 10 years later, they're sitting in a room filled with plushies and posters and pillowcases in the shape of anime girls and... Uh, you know, wearing uh, nothing but Japanese-themed clothing and reading uh, in Japanese. Can I take a moment just to insert this? Because you, you, you said the key phrase, body pillow. Body pillow. I, order, I ordered myself off, uh, after a long consideration a body pillow uh, from Amazon. A standard one, just bamboo memory foam. But then it came down to ordering the, the pillowcase. And the myriad of options are, are out there, including, uh, you know, your manga girlfriend, which I did consider uh, just as a funny, like when it came in, I'd be like uh, to my sweet, sweet lady. I'm like, you got some competition. But, uh, you know, there's gray and blue and all those things. And I'm scrolling down and one of the pattern options was gay flamingo. <laughs> and I didn't even look at it, Andy. I didn't even look at it. I said, Buy it now. Ship today. Uh, and by the way, why does Amazon, it's like one day shipping or two day shipping, both free because I got Prime. It auto selects two day shipping. You better believe I'm floating up and clicking one day shipping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Amazon. Nice try. I want a mad scramble to get this body pillow to me. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so uh, the gay flam flamingos were delivered today. And I was telling my buddy about this. He goes, you know, what's the difference between a flamingo and a gay flamingo? I'm like, a flamingo but they fucking no, And I'm like, I'm like, they're just richer, better looking and in better shape. No, uh, all that aside. So they, they show up and they're just flamingos. Oh, 
<laughs> they're just, just they're just standards flamingos with some uh, you know it's a gentle powder blue with some soft uh inoffensive flamingos about it and some like uh lighter blue ferns about it and i did hug this pillow today and it is glorious Lovely. anyway what were we talking about what were we they're talking just happy about? flamingos dan they're just happy they're just fl- having happy a good flamingos. you know it's it this is it's actually a cultural statement because uh what Gay flamingos, how are they visually different than straight flamingos? Not at all. Uh, they're not. They're the same. They're the, the same. same. Uh, ke- check your privilege and your bias at the door, please. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, Normal Purple Dungeon flamingos. Squid. Purple Dungeon Squid. Bringing you equality in the form of flamingos. Damn right. Flamingos. Damn right. Fromingos. Mm-hmm. Fromingos. Yeah, we uh, at work often receive things from China. Yeah. Um, and I remember distinctly a couple of years ago, we received a trade show booth. And this trade show booth had uh, a couple... Um, fabric uh fabric banners i guess you could say like there's a wireframe you pull a fabric banner with your brand logo over it whatever mysteriously came with a full length anime girl body pillowcase that's right now, unsolicited and it was weird because i was in vancouver at the time and i had unpacked this in my hotel room and so i laid like i threw it on the bed and didn't think anything of it and i came back and i was facetiming with my wife and she's like May I ask what, what <laughs> real quick, the, real quick, what is in the background? Um, and I, I, to this day, I don't think that she's bought my story of it came randomly with the shipment from China. Oh, oh, home in. Oh, don't worry. She's nothing. <laughs> you like quickly <laughs> stuff her into a, into a, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. That's bag. just Sakura. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Gui, Gui Long, uh, you, you can thank Gui Long for that. He's like, and you know what these guys would like? It's a little bit of this. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Uh, Super Dragon Ball Heroes World Mission. If you like games where you collect things, if you like games where you can play the game while chilling out and not playing the game, uh, how's that for a piercing review? Maybe pick it up if you liked. Maybe. Hard hard hitting. <laughs> Thanks, man. How about you? You played uh, Visual Bastards or something, right? Uh, I... Thank you for butchering my game title. Sorry. Andy, segway, segway, this segway. Is a, this, is, this is a free service. Segway, segway, clever, clever. Dan, say the name of your game. I picked up Void Bastards for the Ooh. PC. Got it on a humble bundle. Mm. Um, this 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 bad boy dropped uh, back in May. Um, it is from maybe the cleverest named developer, uh, the Blue Manchu, mm. which is great. It is an action shooter, first person arcade rogue like in space, um, and it comes from the team. Uh, you want to break that down, Dan? Yeah, 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 yeah. It comes from the team. Uh, some of the members that were involved in Bioshock and System Shock Two. It is a strategy shooter that is a test of your wits and your aim. And uh, basically, the premise is you are a you you play a prisoner uh, aboard the void ark and you're at the edge of this bureaucratic space uh of you know a, a, the control of this bureaucratic entity and they've lost control of that ship and so they activate one of the prisoners which fun fact you're dehydrated and so it rehydrates you and says like in a delightful british voice like you have been selected for a special mission we will take you know 15 years off your sentence if you uh, accomplish the following tasks and so the way the game breaks out is a lot like a, a favorite of mine ftl faster than light uh-huh. uh, where you find yourself on a space map and you're selecting uh, a path 
through nebulas, stopping on derelict vessels um, to sort of make your way. And you have missions. Like at the very first, I think you have to build an ID card because it's like, oh my, it seems you don't have a citizen's ID card. You'll need to find a blank citizen's card in a line printer. And so uh, when you when you get dropped on the first vessel, it is first person, person and uh, you're greeted with this beautiful sort of uh, cell-shaded kind of comic book vibe is the way the graphics work out. Um, you're going through the Sargasso Nebula and you're kind of choosing your path through, path through the ships and these ships are filled with uh, hazards, security systems, and really, really creepy enemies that balances the creepiness with the fact that they all have like a different British accent and they say different sort of they've been sort of affected by the nebula and they've been sort of transformed so they're like former um scribes and janitors and perhaps security staff uh and they're milling about the ship and your job is to go through the ship pick up the salvage you need um while avoiding them or fighting them so a lot of stealth in this game so it, it doesn't it doesn't very neat thing so every time you go to a new room uh likely the door is closed and there's a visual audio cue, like in comic books, where you see like the writing on visually. Right. And each enemy has a different visual audio cue. So by that, like it says squelch, squelch, or tap, tap, or hover, hover. And you can hear it too, but it tells you what kind of enemies are in there, which will sort of inform how uh, you enter it. Maybe you're crouching and sneaking around. Maybe you're going in guns blazing. Oh, that's cool. Uh, but you And you have like an overlay of the ship, so... Like generally my strategy is to get to the helm to get a map of where the goods are on the ship, swing by the oxygen tanks to pick up a little bit of extra oxygen because that's the heat on the game. You have a limited oxygen supply while you're going through this ship. Oh, cool. And you only have your sort of a couple, a gun that you've picked up and whatever you can scavenge. And so you kind of have to carry out this strategy in the face of sort of uh, terrifying enemies and uh you know decreasing uh, they, they look really oxygen. terrifying by the way they're like really creep and the thing is is this game looks a lot like a game that i really loved when it came out i think it was called x3 have you heard of x3 or 13 i, I actually never knew um, oh yeah what- x13 yeah 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 that was on um the gamecube i believe right it's i think it's x i mean x3 first person shooter came out uh 2003 so it was out on PS2, GameCube, Xbox, Windows. I played the Windows uh, version of the demo back when PC Gamer used to give out demo discs. So I nice. never, pl- yeah, I never played the full game, but got the demo disc, popped it in, installed it, and played through the demo like four or five times, as one did when you know we were young and didn't have money. Um, but man, like the the cell shaded style hasn't been used enough in my opinion. And yeah, X3 was cool. Obviously, it's a 15 year old game so it's it's uh there's some aging there the graphics on the one you're talking about void bastards are friggin' great and the enemies are genuinely creepy yeah like i have a pretty decent laptop for three years ago it does all right but the game looks amazing like it I, i'm not exaggerating when i say it's the best uh execution of cell shading i've seen um and the the strategy element of picking the right ship to go to because it tells you what kind of enemies are on the ship how many of them generally it'll say uh, a few 
a cu- uh, a couple lots or ho- like hordes i think it says like it's actually i think something funnier loads i think it says <laughs> and it you can tell how the developers feel about um different people so the tourists they're called tourists they're right. little globs of like goo with hats and they say things like oh i have a reservation and like different thing they're like i guess space tourists right and it, when you get near them they freak out and explode and detonate oh. everybody around them. Uh, there's other kind of uh, like real jan- tourists do, right? There's janitors and uh, and the the most difficult couple enemies I've come across. The screw, which I think is a, like security personnel. They call you. What do they call you? Oh, something really, really derogatory. <laughs> but it's all British slang. And it's fantastic. The creepiest thing I've come across so far, I think, um, I forget what they're called. Um, anyway, they're they're like they look like inspectors with trench coats and hats on, but then they like reveal their inner like twisted organs and mechanics. And they fire a beam of light at you, or they have syringes for fingers, and then they disappear, and they can appear anywhere around you, and they are horrifying. They're called specters or something. Aren't you and appearing in court soon for a similar kind of exposure? Uh, my lawyer advised me not to discuss it. I see. And because of this enemy, these enemies, you will die. And what's great is when you die, you a new prisoner gets uh, rehydrated, and each prisoner has its own his own little quirks. Like the first guy you play is a smoker, so he coughs every once in a while, which gives away your position. And uh, you know, every guy so far, I've played probably ten or twelve. He's got a new sort of quirk. Um, like he, they were a uh, breaking and entering prisoner, so they open locked doors faster. Um, I, I played a guy that his thing was like gigantic or something. So literally, your camera is a foot higher than it normally is, nice. and you have to like crouch. To like uh, open things that you'd normally have to, you could grab normally. That's actually it's super pretty... impressive. That's super impressive right. because it's a puzzly game, and you know you've got so much game to go through and so much game to design, and then you go ahead and create a cast. It looks like a lot of unique characters you can play, like at least a dozen. It looks like. Yeah, you don't pick them; it pulls them up uh, uniquely, like uh, randomly. And I haven't come across every double, any doubles, and it is really charming in that way. And let me get get really right to it: the game gets hard fast. Right. The nebula has depth levels, and as you go up, um, it gets extremely challenging. You definitely have to be extremely tactical. And what's great is the game has a workbench that, as you collect materials, you get to build upgrades to weapons, new weapons, um, you, you know, staple guns, um, uh, flaco launchers, which is like it shoots a cluster of dynamite that explodes randomly. It is a very dangerous weapon to wield. <laughs> um, Kitty um, drones, where it's a cat that's on a tra- like a like a uh, a tank track that goes around, draws fire, shoots back. And as you upgrade it, you can get to the unstable cat kitty or whatever it is. And as they sh- destroy it, it explodes with this random explosion like the flak launcher. Uh, it, things can get very chaotic. And so as you upgrade your guy, what's great is your upgrades continue. Those things are sent on uh, because you have this ship that survives oh, when you die, it goes nice. back to the the ark, and and your new guy gets it. So kind of like you know, a dead a, cells kind of uh, roguelike right. progression. 
yeah, there's a sense of progression. And there are some difficulty elements that are really steep. Like you can come across pirates that once they get kind of close to you, they start moving closer. And the first time I encounter them, I'm like, how hard can these pirates be? When you get on the ship, they know exactly where you are all the time. There's somebody talking about, over the loudspeaker about your position. And, you know, I'm avoiding these guys. I'm like, how hard they can be? Can they be? I got a couple grenades. I got some uh, trip mines. I'll just drop them behind me. They are floating mechanized creatures with two chain guns and they shred you to ribbons (laughs) and it sounds pretty awesome man i mean again just looking through some of the footage of this game and listening to what you're talking about it's like kind of cheeky puzzly um like is it a casual game or would you say like it it seems like it's about 15 hours of gameplay so I, i imagine you've beaten it or no it's quite challenging i put a number of hours into it i haven't beaten it yet i just remembered what the screws call you they say hey there shit bird it's <laughs> awesome That's it really is good. great like if you love bioshock it has some of those elements in there it's cheeky it's fun it's hard it's got silly space stuff the space computers talking to you with that glorious sort of mildly condescending british bureaucracy it's quite enjoyable it's easy to pick up and it's one of those games where i quickly played it for six hours without realizing it nice humble bundle is really good for that eh? you just you dive into some of these humble bundle games and they're so low-key and unassuming and time just melts away yeah that's entirely that's entirely true and i'm gonna keep coming to back to this i'm in pretty dedicated um to beating it i think i've crafted like halfway down most of the things so i'm a little bit more resilient when i die my heart restarts to get another shot of it i got some extra oxygen i got a little bit of armor i think i have the colon cleanser which gives you a little bit more health things like that <laughs> yeah you know? and it's funny ro- roguelikes kind of blow my mind a bit because i feel especially at games like dead cells there's a point there's a certain number of run-throughs that you need to to accomplish before you can reasonably defeat the game, right? Mm-hmm. So on one hand, it's cool that you get the sense of progression and you go through and you know you, you upgrade into new weapons and you become more powerful and more powerful. But on the other side, it kind of makes me feel like it's a little bit of a fuck you. Like, yeah, you could beat the game, but it's not bloody likely because you haven't died enough times to achieve you know um, the... Uh, the exponential gains of new equipment and new gear. Um, so I, it, sometimes I don't really know how I feel about that because it feels like there's probably out there in game developer land, the Dead Cells guys, or maybe this game as well, um, Void Bastards, have like landed on a median point where there's a That's certain right. number of deaths that you know uh, most folks are going to need to achieve in order to get through the game with any degree of success. And that in my mind kind of I guess brings the grind to the forefront a little bit. What do you think? I don't know. Like for a game to be good, I think it needs to beat you over the head a little bit. And there's kind of two ways about it. Either you're Ryo, Ryu, Hayabusa, and you're a deadly super ninja right at the start. And everybody else is also a deadly super ninja. And you have this like battle of the ultimates. Or you start out a little bit pawnish, and there's some sort of progression. But I like how this game has done the thing where you are going to get beaten over the head and smashed into paste and asphyxiated and burned and blown up and, and shot out airlocks. But there is still progression is like you find yourself going, okay, well, as long as I can craft a new item, as long as I can push the story forward and, and achieve a new objective. If my guy gets turned into a fine paste, that's no big deal. I, Cause I've stepped yeah. forward. And so 
the game that. keeps revealing itself. I've got to depth four, and what you what I've seen is the horrific future, and this is where I quit right after, is I ran into a ship that's like, hey, warning, there's out-of-depth monsters, and instead of the blue tourists, there were red something else they're called uh you know gallivanters or something and instead of just exploding they explode and leave a blotch of radiation behind so i think this game plays a little bit of palette swapping same sprite different color more horrifying of an enemy and and that realization in the moment i wasn't ready to take it on i'm like okay pause <laughs> dan's gonna take a breath and he's gonna come back refreshed and renewed yeah that's funny man it's like it reminds me of Chips Challenge. I know that's totally off topic. But Chips like, Challenge. Chips Challenge. Chips Challenge is a game that takes the same 15 gimmicks, 15 enemies, 15 switches and skating on ice. And yeah, if anyone, if you don't know what Chips Challenge is, you probably uh, didn't grow up with, you know, Windows 95, but, um, and just c- combines those elements in increasingly more challenging configurations until it's maddeningly difficult makes things slightly faster slightly uh closer together slightly more complex and yeah it's 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 at some point you hit a wall where you're like wow i'm just my brain is not equipped to deal with this challenge Mm-hmm. yep if you can jump on one foot you can jump on one foot and pat your head you, you can jump on one foot pat your head and rub your stomach and sing the alphabet backwards nah you can't you can't do that um 420 friendly what do you think it's real scary and challenging. I think if you're going to blaze one down, be, be prepared to quake. Like I did a lot of sneaking around, opening a door, throwing five grenades in, closing the door and just waiting for the sound to stop. <laughs> I get it, man. Yeah, those are kind of the games that I don't love um, cannabis for. Uh, it's weird. You know, we were talking about a little bit a while ago about scary games like Doom or whatever, right? Or, or horror games and... Um, but neither of us seem to be particularly fond of them. But uh, I think, yeah, I think cannabis would probably make it even worse. So maybe that this is one of those scenarios where you you back out on the weed on this on this game. What do you think? Um, I think once you've had a couple of runs and you feel comfortable, or maybe like maybe you're daring, Sp- spin that wheel. <laughs> Got you. Uh, going through a top list of cell shaded games for the funsies. Uh, you've got, oh, another Dragon Ball title, Dragon Ball Xenoverse. Uh, not played it. Looks neat. Call of Juarez Gunslinger. Played that one? Uh, No. Yeah, it's like a cell shedded uh, Red Dead Redemption. Um, mm, cell sheds. Cell shedded. Broken Sword 5. Don't know what that is. Uh, Naruto Shippuden. Again, haven't heard of that one. Bastion, which I believe you have played, or if not, you've played Transistor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, really beautiful game. They uh, they did a beautiful job. Uh, X three, um, that's a, again classic cell shit. And just looking at the graphics, they're so timeless. You know, even this game from two thousand and three, which we can probably agree, most games from two thousand and three today look like a dog's breakfast. This one could have come out last year. Um, a lot of the Telltale's games, uh, games, and then Jet Set Radio, one of those classics. Jet Set Radio, roller skating graffiti artists floating around a free roam city nino cooney who actually has a there's a new title coming out on switch pretty soon i think and finally the borderlands series daniel borderlands fan i just tried to play the most recent borderlands uh with my sweet sweet lady and the horizontal split screen was a little bit tough we had some fun though it it's it's all right it it, it gets a little samey for me you know yeah borderlands um gets really samey for me too i, I find that i get really hot on borderlands for the first 
maybe even like 15 hours. Like I, I get into Borderlands and I'm really into it. I love the randomized guns. Gunplay feels somehow more satisfying near the beginning of the game. Things are dying a little quicker. There's less bullet sponges to deal with. Like things just move a little bit quicker. Um, but yeah, it gets really samey around that 10 to 15 hour mark. Um, you know, you find yourself uh, getting another gun and not really caring because it's just a minor upgrade in like, you know, uh, velocity of shooting or whatever it is. Um, I don't know. It's it's a great game. It genuinely is. Were you playing this ha- handsome collection or? Yeah, I was. I was. We p- picked it up on a bundle. I think it's one in three in there. Uh, no, like, it's Borderlands 2, and then it's the Borderlands 2 expansion, which I actually never played. I didn't finish the normal Borderlands 2, so I, I never played the uh, the sequel or whatever, the half sequel. I, I, I tossed it in with the expressed um, sort of uh, reason to play with my sweet lady and like have little like co-shooter time. Because one thing that she has trouble with is like uh, the move and look of like an FPS on the two thumbsticks. Right. Yeah. So we did like a little training wheels thing on that, and, and and she got pretty pretty adept at it. But like there is one story hitch that we couldn't get, so we had to replay the same part like oh, four or five times, and it was yeah, like yeah. game over. Yeah, it was. I was like, it compare, and also you're only getting like it's a horizontal split, so you only get half the screen, and I just it just wasn't working for yeah, me. And I actually it's played late that in ruin. Sorry, but I I played that with my wife too, so I had a similar experience as you did. Uh, we actually we did get by past it at some point I, the first 30 minutes was really touch and go and we were pretty close to the like hey i, I don't uh, i don't want to do this we were pretty close to that sounds like you didn't make it past it yeah no we we i think we got up to the main boss and whatever reason after we killed the first boss like not the first first one but in the main story but we weren't doing something correctly and went back to the little town to buy more ammo because we ran out of ammo and Uh, back and back and back and it was just like it died a painful death yeah we we managed to go like 15 hours it was uh it was really enjoyable actually um but again just got a little samey i think i was the one who kind of called it off a bit you know she was still kind of she never like got super hot on it but she was she was okay with it like it was one of the more successful rope your spouse into playing a co-op video game that she probably wouldn't normally want to because it's not Mario. Um, I think we have similar similar uh, counterparts in that most of their gaming enjoyment comes from titles like Mario, etc. Um, we, we definitely didn't get the gamer girls. They're good sports. My sweet lady is, you know, she's gamer-ish. She's like, she plays Zelda and she enjoys it. She just beat Mario Tennis, so I need to stop casting so much shade. But you know what I know, which is whatever you're roping them into... Uh, whether it's a board game or video game, you don't want them to get to the point where they throw their hands up. You want to call it before that. Leave them wanting more. Hundred percent. Because then, hundred percent, there's no coming back. You no, just, no. It, you've, you'll, you'll nix it. Yeah, yeah. It's never, it's never going in the tray again. Um, yeah. Yep. Exactly the case. Uh, moving on. Is it? Uh, it's not smoke sesh time, is it, Dan? I think I feel like it might be. Uh oh, smoke sesh. Ba boom. Smoke sesh. And smoke session. A smoke session. Dan. Dan, it's that time of the podcast when we get down with a little herb. What did you uh, what did you bring for the class? 
Um, I had stayed in a beautiful Airbnb uh, for this wedding event, uh, a stumble from the location. It was brilliant. And not only that uh, worked out for me, but our our host uh, was a fantastic lady. I'll leave her anonymity intact. But uh, she gave us a couple handfuls of her homegrown, and uh, we have been enjoying it. So we got a, a nice little spot of uh, of green crack. Oh, green crack. One of my favorites, in fact. Yeah, probably not the wisest 11 p.m. smoke, but let's get down with it. It's a really terrible 11 p.m. smoke. I think I actually smoked some purple crack on this podcast around episode 11 or 12, um, and I was up till 3 in the morning, so enjoy yourself. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, This particular uh, grow she had done herself, and she was actually asking me for tips on growing, which I have almost none, but uh, I connected her with some some good resources. So um, these buds are a little bit modest looking, but they're gifted buds, so they'll be enjoyed thoroughly. Yes, sir. Craft buds. Mm -hmm. Crafted with love. Mm -hmm. Good stuff, man. With love. Yeah, I love green crack. Um, It's one of my favorite sativas. Kind of like unfortunately named. And it's funny because, yeah. you know, we're, I actually have Pink Kush today. And, I, you know, I've consumed Pink Kush on the podcast before. And it is one of my favorites. And especially when I'm traveling, I often want to bring it with me because it's an indica dominant hybrid. So it'll, uh, it'll put me to sleep eventually. But I can get a good hour or two of, um, you know, just alertness and, and, uh, and, and added creativity before, um, before, you know, the, the pillow calls. So, uh, I really mm-hmm. do enjoy it when I'm, when I'm on the road, but yeah, you want to, you want to go first? What do you think? Yeah. So these nugs are, are modest. They're little guys. They, they're in good condition. They are hairy. There's a little bit of a sugaring dust on them. They're not perfect or glorious. You won't see them in a copy of high times, but I know they'll smoke down really well. What's interesting is there's like a typical sort of earthy sweet smell to it, but I'm questioning a little bit of the lineage. And the only reason I say that is there's a strong, not let me say strong, a present karyophylline, that peppery terpene in here. I can smell that pepper and I'm not familiar with that in the green crack family, but I'm going to take her at her word. You know, maybe it's got a slightly, you know, lineages can get a little bit hazy. So I am going to smoke down on this. And and Andy, do you recognize this, this apparatus that I'm uh, smoking Ooh, out of? I can't really see it. Can you move there, it? There you oh, go, yeah. closer to the key. Oh, nice. Yeah. How's that for a gifted bong? How's that for a gifted bong? It's fantastic. It actually, this will be the premier smoke out of it. It is completely cherry and clean so nice. i'm gonna get down that's a that nice straight to that famous brand straight tube that is a beauty let me get down on this Ooh, nice don't let the name fool you this is pure cannabis few strains compared to green cracks sharp energy and focus as it induces an invigorating mental buzz that keeps you going throughout the day well into the nighttime hours dan <laughs> with a tangy mm. fruity flavor redolent of mango green Crack is a great daytime strain, not a nighttime strain, Dan, that may help consumers fight fatigue, stress, and depression. Because its name perpetuates a negative image of cannabis, some people have taken to calling the strain Kush with a C or Green Kush instead. And I kind of, I feel that. Unfortunately, it, uh, it's not taken on. Um, everyone still calls it Green Crack, but, uh, but Green Kush is cool. Green Kush is cool. Um, this is from our friends over at Leafly, of course. Uh, what, how do you, how does it smell? What is it? How does it taste? Sweet in the mouth, really easy on the throat. This is, this was quite kind uh, on the inhale. And I have to say immediate rush of blood to the forehead and the eyebrow region. Nice. Definitely a sativa. 
nothing really on the shoulders, and uh, I can feel it with my face, so I came to play. You came to play. Is it tingling in your nostrils? No nostril tingle as of yet, but <laughs> let's give it some time. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm super pumped about my current situation. Because I have brought from myself, and unfortunately, y'all out in podcast land cannot see this, but I've got my Argo. This is an Ariser Go. Um, it was actually gifted to me, and I'm really fond. This is my favorite vaporizer uh, that I've used yet. Um, only received it recently. Actually did a little unboxing for it on the Instagram channel, so uh, hopefully you didn't miss that. But um, what's really cool about the Ariser products, and this is like, I've got no stake, no horse in this race, just really genuinely like this vaporizer. What's great about the Ariser products is uh, almost all of them are glass. So if you take a look, it's got this normal kind of, almost looks like a pager, <laughs> frankly, the, the vaporizer It does look body. like a pager. It looks like a pager. Dr. Andy to the OR. But, Dr. Andy to the OR. Yeah. But there's like a glass tube, as you can see, Dan. So like in the bottom, let's call it bottom eighth of this glass tube, you pack your bowl and then you pop the tube into the vaporizer. So you're actually vaporizing off of glass for the most part. There's a little bit of contact with the ceramic interior, but um, for the most part, you're, you're vaping off of glass. So it's just got a really clean flavor to it. Uh, I really get a lot more of the terpenes. Um, I think anyway, I, I've, I've sampled between the Da Vinci and between the Argo and I, I gen generally prefer the Argo. I, f I find that I get a cleaner flavor. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and give her a puff over here. It's also got really precise temperature control, which is not complicated because it doesn't have like a lot of the new vaporizers have like app integration and like there's multiple settings. I just, I don't know, like this is super easy. You just go up or go down and it goes to the right temperature and it does a good job and it does it quickly and it doesn't burn or combust my cannabis. And I'm down with all of that. Give me one second here. I'm going to give a little toke on the pink kush and sorry, let me, uh, let me get a little flavor profile going here. One sec. Sniff into that mic. Drop that keyboard. Mmm, making it all happen. So this Pink Kush uh, by San Rafael. This is an Aurora strain up here in Canada. Very sweet. It's got a real nice sweetness. A little bit of a, a little bit of a woodiness to it. Maybe like cedary. But overall, just that Pink Kush sweetness that I do love so much. And I'm gonna go ahead and give it a nice pull on the vape here. I find you have to, uh, on this Argo, you got to draw it nice and slow to get a real good flavor. Mmm, it's nice and sweet. Ah, so nice. Just a genuinely, like, fresh-feeling experience. If you, if you are a smoker and you've not tried vaping and you want to, I can only recommend the Argo because um, Pink Kush. <laughs> Andy, shall we hear what Leafly has to say about Pink Kush? <laughs> Pink Kush brings out the, the best in me. Go ahead. Pink Kush, as coveted as his OG Kush relative, is an indica-dominant hybrid with powerful body-focused effects. In its exceptional variations, pink hairs burst from bright green buds, barely visible under a blanket of sugar-like trichomes, with traces of vanilla and candy perfume, the potency of this strain could be considered overpowering, and even small doses are known to eliminate pain, insomnia, and appetite loss. Growers have to wait 11 weeks for pink kush flowering. Good words, but high yields <laughs> of top shelf buds are worth the wait. As read by Leafly, thank you, Leafly, a poem every time. Yeah, man. Um, pink Kush is just, ugh, it's so hard not to want to consume it. And it's challenging because it's actually mm -hmm. really hard to find 
uh, in Canada right now. San Rafael Pincush is sold out almost everywhere. Can't find it. But um, uh, it's just such a like pure warming feeling. Like mm-hmm. I've just taken a very small tote. So I'm, uh, I, I know based on my experience with pink Kush that if I go too deep on it, um, the sedative effects will really overpower and I'll be, I'll be sleeping pretty soon. Right. So for pink Kush, I specifically like it out of the vaporizer. I can kind of manage the dose a little bit. The feelings are a little more gradual, but one thing that doesn't diminish at all is that overall warm body feeling. Like my whole body just feels like it's like dipped into a nice warm bath and that's just, uh, just so nice. Just so nice. I feel like I've put my face into a tanning bed for about 45 minutes, quite warm on the face, and a little bit, maybe a teeny bit numb, just a little tingle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, buddy. We are having so opposite experiences right now. I'm like having like a warm, <laughs> gleeful slide into comfortability, and I can see you just, now that we're, we've got the, uh, the video feed on here, I can see you just perking up around the gills. I'm leaned forward. It's a full lean forward, buddy. You're engaged. You look like you want to run a marathon and probably have to pee a little. Not that. Maybe stand up and uh, one one jumping jack. One ju- single a single jumping jack. jack. A single jack. A single jack. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. All right. Well, what do we got on the news docket today? High Times has linked an article. Let me just pull it up here, which I I was quite interested by because the heading of the article, the title of the article is that a study finds no link between adolescent weed use and adult brain structure, which I think is probably one of the most commonly held held beliefs that um, even folks who are proponents of cannabis have kind of adopted. You hear a lot about how, you know, uh, cannabis is non-beneficial or can be detrimental to the adolescent brain. And in some ways, like, you know, we all love cannabis, but I grew up with folks who blazed a whole lot in high school. And, you know, uh, some of them have had some some challenges with things like motivation and what have you, and others have not. So um, I I think that maybe there was some anecdotal kind of experiences that informed me just taking this on its face value. Apparently, there's a study being published by Arizona State University, uh, High Times is saying, called um, or in Drug and Alcohol Dependence. I guess it's a publication they do monthly. Can you believe they do? I guess that's a big topic is the topic of addiction, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, the quote here is, tested associations between prospectively assessed trajectories of adolescent cannabis use and adult brain structure in a sample of boys followed to adulthood. There's some scientific talking. And uh, so they call the whole notion uh, did you read this article? Yeah. So essentially they, they took a sample uh, group of a thousand boys initially examined in the 80s and they basically were put on four different trajectories, uh, non-users and frequent, desisters, people stopping escalators, and chronic relative frequent users to give them like a nice sample rate of different habit pat- patterns. Right. The long and the short of it, two, uh, roughly 200 of them were uh, went under neuroimaging of some kind, MRI or CAT scan, when they were in adulthood, 30 to 60. And essentially what they were looking for is very specifically morphological changes in the brain structure. Mm-hmm. So we're talking shape, destiny, and density of the adult brain because they were they were much looking at structure and, and what they found was is that there was no divergence among them. They all had standard brains. <laughs> it creates the notion for me that the cause of 
some behavioral patterns in folks who also gravitate to utilizing cannabis in, I, I don't want to say the word abusive, who might have passed that kind of judgment, but you know, like perhaps ways that aren't as conducive to a productive or yeah, productive life. I'm, I'm coming about this the wrong way. To draw a line on it, because it, it's an interesting point you're making, but it, you know, you mentioned behavioral, and I think that's a key sort of distinction in this study. They were looking at like things like uh, subcortical brain volumes and thickness and structure. So it's confirmed that it will not cause or does not seem to cause physical anomalies in your brain. Ho ho, is that not good news? Love to hear it. Sure. But I think I think the keynote is is they're not they were not behavioral. Uh, studies, so they they can't really put a finger on um, how it might affect things like think anything that falls under behavior. But we do know it doesn't structurally undermine the brain, uh, like arsenic or lead or other things that that are problematic. For sure. Well, the behavioral conversation is is one that's certainly relevant, but it's not just relevant. For example, in the in the case of young adults or children who are growing into adults and being exposed to cannabis. Again, yeah, for sure. There could be um, a proclivity to uh, relying on cannabis um, for anything from social anxiety to, you know, dealing with pressure. And that can create habits and behaviors that don't allow someone to um, uh, achieve the things that they're looking to achieve in, for example, an educational setting or uh, in those early formative years of learning how to be someone in, who has a job, you know. Um, but again, those are behavioral <laughs> Uh, the thing yeah. that's been talked about most often is how um, in a developing brain, cannabis can actually alter the brain physically. And again, it was kind of taken as fact, at least I had taken it as fact. And so it's interesting. It's not the whole picture. It's not the whole story. And I don't think anybody here is advocating for increased use of cannabis by underage minors. Nobody's saying that. Um, but it is fascinating to see that, uh, you know, there's a there's a conversation around, okay, well, maybe it's not creating the physical alteration that we had we had uh, assumed yeah and what it really puts to bed is any idea that the incidental contact of kids to marijuana exposure if your neighbor is smoking it and it's coming you know you through a vent a little bit you know that you're not going to have any impacts your kid's brain isn't going to be smooth like a koala's which is really good news i think we can agree yeah we can all agree on that Andy, you know what i like about you we we cheaped down we got cooked up and you're like you know what Let's get into the scientific study first. Let's, <laughs> let's not fluff into this thing. Make Dan say cortical volume. Cortical volume. I know you love it, man. I do. It's like so. Let's go on to the next scientific article just to give it an old uh, two and one. The old heave ho. <laughs> so High Times has also linked another article published by Adam Drury um, that scientists find cannabis compound more effective than aspirin for pain relief, mm -hmm. and um, it's it's another really interesting conversation because you know we get cannabis lumped in with pain relief I shouldn't say lumped in but looked at from the perspective of hey how can it imp help improve quality of life and pain is one thing that many people are trying to manage um, and so uh, the article again have you read it have you have you spent some time with it yeah, certainly. And this is something that's been uh, long proposed, right? And uh, it's interesting. I don't know about you, Andy, but every time I take an aspirin, it could have done something or it absolutely could have done nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's 100% like, the it, case. It definitely, it definitely could have been done nothing. It has some certain uh, definite effects. It, it does thin your blood, for sure. Um, it is, uh, what's the, the medical name of it? It's escaping me right now. But something that is a fact about aspirin is it is hard on your kidneys. Yes, Yep. No, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's true. Uh, I think that it would probably be ignorant for, you know, someone like myself who doesn't deal with chronic pain to question the viability of painkillers. Um, you know, one thing that they allude to at the end of this 
article, which I think is timely, is that pain management is something is one, at least one of the underlying causes of, um, you know, a pretty serious crisis that North America is dealing with, or the world probably, uh, is the opioid crisis, right? And so we've got a scenario where people are trying to manage pain, becoming addicted to opioids, um, and it's creating all sorts of um, uh, tragic and uh, yeah, tragic is the best word to use for it. Uh, circumstances in especially young people's lives, right? Um, and so it's neat to see that, you know, I'm not stating that cannabis is always or even sometimes uh, a replacement to, uh, let's call it heavy duty opioids like that. But um, there have been some, I don't know if they're anecdotal or proven examples of people who, uh, you know, have used cannabis to manage pain in the absence of opioids. And this article specifically is talking about two additional cannabis compounds, canflavin A and canflavin B. Have you have you heard of these before? Yeah, they're they're one of the myriad of flavonoids found in cannabis and they they're usually the compound is is quite trace. They're not high amounts, you know, but along with tetrahydrocannabinol, it it's been shown to be quite effective, which I I'm so happy to see this article because I've seen a lot of interesting perhaps bunk articles about hey let's stop pretending like CBD is good for pain or whatever it is right you know so so to see that the research is being effective uh, on unlocking what the actual root of some of these effects people are feeling yeah and you know I think CBD and THC are the two most um, referred to comp well they are for sure the two most referred to compounds of cannabis. Um, and you know, they, they're, there's plenty of neat and interesting facts and, and, uh, analyses of both of those compounds that, um, you know, have in many cases pointed at not definitively, uh, stated, but pointed at net benefit effects like pain management. But, um, it's neat to see that of the, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of other compounds that, uh, that cannabis, um, holds, uh, there's still so many to be unlocked, and it's even their interaction between one another that might be creating the effects that we're still trying to nail down and verify, you know? Yeah, that's the hardest thing when you're dealing with compounds that work in some sort of, you know, synergistic way. That can be harder to to suss out uh, through medical trials and through the chemical compositions. I'm still trying to find out what the root of aspirin is. Aspirin is, is acetosilic acid. Not, It's a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. There we go. There you go. Well, anyway, on the <laughs> so, that was a pretty adult high talk there, Dan. <laughs> we oh, both, buddy, we both you went, took us we both so went deep. Like, uh, pretty, pretty intense. On the, we went both went science panel on the the last five we minutes. We killed. Of this we killed the vibe. Neither of us. We both refused to be like uh, the average Joe taking it on. Like one of us needs to be like, yeah, I've taken a couple aspirin and maybe my ankle felt better, but blazing it down. That's what made the difference. And one of us launches into an egghead talk, but we're like double egghead. Yeah. It's time to kill the vibe. We're going to bring the room down now. The egghead in this equation. Um, I'm just so genuinely, like, I'm genuinely interested in the study of this. Um, and you know, I, yeah. I made a reference to opioids and I don't, well, I don't have any personal connections to people who are dealing with that. It's like, I've spent some time in Vancouver, man. And you know, uh, you walk around downtown Vancouver and it, it's actually really tragic. Like there are a lot of people who are yeah. struggling yeah. with opioid addiction and it's manifesting in like genuinely tragic circumstances. And so, um, you know, not making any claims about cannabis, but, um, if there's, 
a path to understanding pain management or unlocking some form of pain management through cannabis, um, it's just really encouraging. It makes me feel really good about yeah. this plant, you know? You know, man, like I, to come straight at it for me, it's like uh, a lot of pain management stuff is either it has a very, very dangerous side effect or a problematic side effect, or it, it feels too good. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's clear to me that it can be decent at uh, sort of counteracting pain, but there is a resistance involved and it, it alters your experience of life too much. And it probably feels amazing. Like I, when I crashed my motorcycle, I was administered uh, morphine in the hospital. And at first, what it did was just soak up all the pain. But, uh, you know, day three, I was like, when I got some morphine, I was like, oh, oh, this feels warm and great. You know, and, and I could kind of get and, and that's most people's entry point. There's some injury and they're way over prescribed the painkiller. Like there's there's uh, cases where dentists were giving out 200 Percocets, you know, possibly on the sly, you know, and that's problematic. That On the flip side, you know, weed also feels good, but not so good. Maybe that, you know, you would. And I don't want to, I don't want to come down too hard, but lose your job, you know, sell your TV after you, you can't be prescribed it anymore, you know, uh, going to the street for it. And God bless us in many places, you don't have to go to the street for weed anymore. And it was never quite the same. Most people, you know, had a guy, Frank, he it's not, you know, the street, uh, you know, so that's a, that's a great element of this. And it also mentions that they, their studies also are, they're correlating no changes to the structure of the brain through exposure of that. And, you know, good news for everybody, exposure from uh, cannabis. Here, 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 here. Let me ask you a question, Dan. Mm. Do you know where Man Crick's wife is? Um, it's it's got to be near Stormwind, right? <laughs> Something like Chuck Norris joke, Chuck Norris joke. Where is Man Crick's wife? Welcome to Baron's Chat. It's 2007, and we <laughs> are in the world of Warcraft. And that is exactly what happened again here in 2019 as Blizzard launched World of Warcraft Classic, which I have absolutely no interest in playing because I played that back in the day, and that shit is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those gifts of memory you forget how much um uh polish went on the game and quality of life uh stuff you know to go back there i think some people would be in shock but let's not crap on the nostalgists that want to go back home and experience it again you know i i get it i get it andy don't you Oh, I certainly do, man. I mean, like, you know, I was a beta tester for WoW. Look, early days WoW is some of my fondest memories. Humble brag. Humble brag. Humble brag. Yeah. I remember my, my first character, an undead warlock with no lower jaw named Absinthe. <laughs> He's still Ooh. parked on Shadow Moon somewhere. I think I logged into him in late 2015, wandered around for about three minutes and logged right back out. If there is a ghost in the machine and some part of our electronic manifestations are sentient, that's the saddest moment. The moment where your character doesn't know you're logging off for the last time and maybe you don't know you're logging off for the last time, but it's the last time they'll ever be summoned to life and adventure and they get stored on a shelf in some un endless infinitum of the universe. You're really bumming me out right now, Dan. Uh, oh, it was me. It wasn't It wasn't opioid crisis Jones back there. What, what should our, ter our first news article be? Let's tackle the headiest, thickest, most difficult subject right up top, right after we blaze down. And uh, let me, uh, I just want to say... Thank God they are suing the ever-living lit uh, litigation out of these folks. They're extracting money um, from the drug producers, the companies that helped create the opioid crisis. And boy, am I ever happy. You know, 
Isn't it great when money might fix things? It's not going to fix everything, but if you spread that around, we're going to see a little lift. Can you agree to that? Yeah. Thanks for coming by the Purple Dungeon Squid, where you came for entertainment and left with a hard-hitting opinion that bummed you out for three days. <laughs> Think about this <laughs> in your down moments. I'm really sad about my warlock having been abandoned now. It's, it's true, you know. These are, these are little avatars that you spend lots of time with. I mean, I think when I slash played on my longest played character, um, uh, Torin Warrior was like an, an embarrassingly a large amount of time. Like, say it. Say the number. I don't even like. I don't even want say to. It. No, it was like. Just say it. I mean, listen. I've been playing this game since lunch. That was like 16 years ago or some shit. But there was like mm-hmm. there was a, you know, a month or something of like life. <laughs> Spend on World of Warcraft. <laughs> maybe more. Maybe I'm understating it. More. For the you are underselling it. Yeah. Give me the real number, Andy, for your soul, for the trust of the listeners. Show me your shame. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll have to get back to you on that one. Maybe I'll release it in a you know timed story on Instagram. I'll delete it immediately because it's I, I, so shameful. I like it. It'll be on the Patreon. It'll be on the, on the Patreon. Yeah, yeah. Someone has to register for that first. I think we can figure it out. We'll plug a couple neurons. Oh, together, buddy. Blaze down while some I'm green thinking crack about it. it done. While I'm thinking about it, so uh, I went in, I went ahead and reserved uh, Purple Dungeon Squid on Twitter, right? And I just made the account, parked it, skipped the pick, uh, your interest, just parked it. I go to log back in 10 days later, and there's a notice. Your account has been suspended due to suspicious activities. <laughs> Yeah. Apparently, uh, to the, the, to Twitter, they're like, did nothing. Don't like it. Suspended. Or maybe it's already been. Mm, picked. He's not tweeting enough. This this guy here. Yeah. And maybe maybe it's just already been hacked. I think I made the password. Uh, happy times. One two three. <laughs> this man doesn't want to tweet. We don't understand. Lock him out. Leave him. He alone. doesn't enjoy the tweeting. Come look. We given you 140 characters <laughs> for a deal. I think there's more characters now. Listen, my friend, you can have more, but uh, why do you need it? <laughs> I think Donald Trump needed it, which is why we have more. <laughs> That's literally, and he's still like, uh, listen, uh, hurricane, dot, 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 oh, dot, dot, dot. Let's not go there. God bless anybody who's dealing with a hurricane scenario right now, uh, though. Uh, We've we've blessed the Lord many times, and yeah, no, our hearts go out to them Sending for sure. Some good vibes. Another heavy topic. Yeah, it light. <laughs> three, three. I mean, listen, it's all like you know. We got our we got our Instagram shout out to our Instagram group, Gamers Toke, uh, VIP uh, folks in there from Florida, and uh, you know, I think the the hurricane largely passed by Florida, but uh, Bahamas. Feeling, feeling some tough times. Yeah, send some, send some love down there. Yeah, definitely sending our love. In fact, um, on the Colbert report, uh, he he was speaking about uh, a chef down there that is like brought a, brought a bunch of volunteers and they're making grilled cheese, grilled cheese and ham sandwiches for everybody. And you can actually donate to that charity. I wish I could, uh, I, I could recall the name, oh. but uh, quick Google should expose it. Oh, oh, here we go. How to help Hurricane Dorian survivors in the Bahamas. Da, da, da. The Red Cross has 200. Okay, Global Giving, World Central Kitchen. That's the one I think it is. World Central Kitchen, I Say could it. be wrong. but That is the one I believe. Okay, nice. Yep, go ahead and check out World Central Kitchen. Send a little bit of love over there. But one of our one of our buds down from Florida, he he talked about preparing for the storm. And he's like, oh yeah, I'll just, I'll, I'll drill the storm shutters into the 
pilot drill holes I already have there. He goes, the the roughest part is going out to get gas. He goes, because once once it gets serious, people are serious about getting their supplies. Like it's everybody's on a mission suddenly because Florida's experienced it enough. They just drop into that mode. He's like, you just you got to know what you're doing. And right. uh, and I can picture that. It's so clear to me. So, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad Florida was was spared. But uh, uh, the Carolinas right now are experiencing some of that. So, yeah, well. I think we were talking about World of Warcraft Classic. Turns out you mm-hmm. can't go home again. I don't have any desire to. But if you are on the World of Warcraft vanilla classic server rating Molten Core right now in your group of 40 people, um, I wish you the best of luck. Uh, wow. Wow. There was a race to, to level 16. I think like by day three, somebody was 59, like really on it. And, and you hear some, there's some tender stories that came out of this, like, the zones are so packed people were noticing that you know either all the mobs that they need to get you know the rabbit pelts or whatever were already were all completely there was a you know a slaughter or the quest mob he was he wasn't ever up people were swarming so instead the the gentle warcraft community was lining up into queue to do the you know the quest uh mob or whatever it was and they're taking their turns and going and i love it it makes wow like a Disneyland ride. It's the Disneyland ride of WoW Classic. You wait, you get in the line, and then you ride the, you know, the Molten Core ride or, you know, the Ten Hogs ride. And you go, oh, that was cool. <laughs> you run in and turn it in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's so hard to think back to that time because I spent so much time with early WoW. But admittedly, I wasn't much of a raider. You know, I made it to... um some of the 10 man dungeons and did some, did some time there. But by and large, by the time that I had really explored a little bit of level cap, uh, you know, burning crusade was out. I, I just, I'm, I'm a very slow uh, MMO player. Right. So, um, right, right. and frankly, even during those early days when I had very few actual real life responsibilities, um, it was still such a time commitment to, to be there and present for rating vanilla. Wow. Like I, I'm curious, um, to see how the general demographic that was playing the game during that time period, folks who were in that, let's call it like 13 to 20 year old range are now, you know, like 15 years later in that prime, hey, have a serious job, maybe married, probably have or possibly have kids um, and are committing back to the uh, the World of Warcraft 40 man raid scenario. It's it's, uh, it's it's interesting to to it would be interesting to know, you know, um, how many folks are actually able to do that. It's a beautiful thing because one of the things that's coming from this is people that played vanilla WoW together. Maybe life broke them up in the early years. Uh, and the kids have grown up a little bit. You know, they can exist for an hour without uh, perishing on their own accord. And these guilds are getting back together that are, you know, 15 years old and, you know, running the the old dungeons and having a time. So you're seeing these the beautiful revival of these groups. And people are do forget, as, as I'm sure I have, like level four. In, in, to get to level four in vanilla, it is like it's some time now. Like by uh, iced throne or cursed throne or whatever it was, they're giving you level sixty just for signing up. Here's a sixty. There you go. <laughs> Enjoy that. It's like represents like a couple of months of uh, of the original WoW time or whatever it was. It was a slog, you know. So yeah, it was. Uh, get ready for that. No, no, no. It was. Slow boat to it China. Was. Yeah, no. It, getting to level sixty. I don't know. Like. MMOs, there's there's just this breed of human being that has the ability to get to level cap in no time whatsoever. I just I don't even understand how it's physically possible. You know, I've 
in the in the peak of my wild WoW playing career, which is probably like Burning Crusade, Wrath of the Lich King was when I spent the most time with that game. Um, you know, I was doing the, hey, I want to level some alts. I want to get to that high level so I can do raiding on multiple characters and stuff. And just trying to level alts with, you know, all the bells and whistles. I got the uh, add-ons that show me the ultimate path for questing and like the easiest, fastest guide on how to get to the level cap and this. And, and I still, like some dudes are doing it in like 10, 12 hours getting to cap and like I'm here on my like 20th hour and I'm, I'm halfway to cap and ready to just jump off a bridge. And yeah, it was, I don't know. There's just a, there's a type of human being that's super good ungodly good at leveling characters in MMOs, and it is not me. Yeah, just task-oriented. They know the order of it. They make great great servers. They just know the order in it, how to quickly do it, all business, for sure. Yeah, there's a type. Yeah, well, that's true enough. Listen, Dan, we have been going for a little time here, and I am ready to melt into a couch. That is what I'd like to do. You're probably ready to run a marathon. Um, here's what I'd like I'm, to do. I'm floating in a I'm floating in a good place, buddy. I'm right I'm right in the middle. Nice. I'm happy. You you got a lot of energy left in your voice. I got you know. Thanks, buddy. Uh, high five. Came to play. Woo. Thank you. Came to play. Came to play. Um, September has some bangers coming out. I think we should uh, touch in on some of these on on our next episode, but I'm gonna go through and I want you to give me like a, I want you to give me like a one line prediction on what this game's gonna be like. How about that? Uh, Catherine full body, you gotta look at that. Uh, it is uh, just a wild uh, Japanese tower climbing slash relationship um, decision making thing, and it asks the question. Do you want to settle down and be a stable, responsible human, or do you want to be a wild man? And maybe there's a succubus in the mix. Who knows? That is a long line, but fair enough. Final Fantasy VIII Remastered. Uh, maybe one of the least loved Final Fantasies. You got seven. Uh, most most and least. Uh, and, and I got to tell you, this game fixes a lot of stuff. It has a setting that lets you turn off all encounters because the major conceit of this game is the game actually gets harder as you level up. Uh, gotcha, gotcha. Monster Hunter World Iceborne, um, a much-anticipated expansion uh, to Monster Hunter World. Not sure if it has enough content um, in it to satisfy the ravenous appetite of Monster Hunter World fans. Um, I guess we'll find out. That's coming out September 6th. Oh, that's tomorrow. That's pretty cool. Um, Grid. Heard anything about Grid, Dan? Uh, I did, and I forgot. Oh, all right. Well, <laughs> Grid I looked sounds at this game. Yeah, NHL Gone. 20. Probably another NHL Hockey. game. Hockey. Hockey. There's going to be some sticks Hockey. and some pucks. Borderlands Hockey. 3. There you go, pal. Timely conversation Big- about Borderlands 2. Yeah, yeah. I think I actually said earlier that I was playing Borderlands Three. That was a blatant lie. I mean, this this game is Borderlands, and uh, it looks it looks good. Some interesting new characters, and uh, yeah, and Borderlands the uh, developer be suing uh, suing some YouTubers over leaks that they acquired. So that was in the news. They actually sent two uh, private investigators to this YouTuber's house, which fe- feels feels bold. Yeah, <laughs> it feels feels borderline. No. That was funnier in my head. Borderlands 3, uh, probably a pickup for me. I'm, I'm pretty interested. Nino Kuni, Wrath of the White Witch Remastered. Is this the, this isn't original Nino Kuni. This is a Nino Kuni derivative? I don't know. I was hoping you knew. I was hoping deep within myself. Nino Kuni, Wrath of the White Witch uh, for Nintendo Switch is, yes, it's a, it's a Nino Kuni. 
uh, version of the game. I, I'm sorry. I don't know. I, we, there's a gentleman in our uh, in our Instagram group who is really big on Nino Cooney. Shout out to Bo's Game Room. Um, Nino Cooney is a freaking, and also uh, precisely podcast. They do a podcast about beer and video games. Craft beer and video games. So if you haven't checked out the Precisely podcast, let me plug it for you one more time. That's some good listening. And those guys know their games. <laughs> they know their games well. Whereas we just play at knowing games. They know no mm-hmm. games. Yep. Yep. On TV. On TV. We, we play doctors on TV. I don't know. I'm losing the whatever. Nino Cooney is one of his favorite mm-hmm. games. I've been wanting to try it for a while. And it's an example of another cel-shaded game. Perhaps we shall find out. Uh, Contra Rogue Core. I took a look at this man. It looks it looks pretty pretty great. Uh, there's it's a you know twin stick shooter. It's got co op. You know you can get a buddy in either couch or online. I I believe and uh, you know there's a there's a big beefy dude. There's a lady. There's an anthropomorphic panda. And uh, one of the cool mechanics is as you move through the levels, uh, you pick up not just like before in other uh, contrasts. It was like you know different gun types. This one you can build your gun you're adding on to your gun adding different features and and sort of building this sort of custom rig as you go and that's that's a really i'm really digging that mechanic yeah it sounds great were you uh, an original contra fan like did you uh, did you play that did you play that as a lad uh buddy i went hard as nails on contra with my brother uh the, i think one of the first co-op games along with ninja turtles that we ever played and uh, it was a slog buddy we we beat that game before the konami code was known to us and uh and it was it was a hailstorm of bullets and like near near blows situations because if you remember that was a game where you could steal your partner's life and that was like akin to death like you know your your brothers run out of lives and you're on your last two and he snakes one oh man oh man indeed yeah man um i did not play contra until many years later probably early 2000s when i bought a ness from a local um a local pawn, uh, no, not pawn shop. A local thrift store. Local thrift store had a Ness big box of games. I think like ten or eleven games. Five bucks. Five bucks. This is long before retro gaming was was cool. Uh, again, and um, unfortunately, I I shared it with a friend, and uh, we initially set it up as his house, and because it was five bucks, the um, you know the inclination for me to bring it home and keep it well preserved didn't happen so i i, I let that yeah rough let that go let that sail off into the sunset when we uh i don't know sometime in the later future when we didn't hang out anymore but um contra was freaking hard like i think we played for a short period of time before switching to another game duck hunt as i remember it because you know we had the light gun um and yeah i, I don't i didn't make it very far in that contra game it's so challenging. One bullet kills. I think it's three or five lives to get started. And there is a hail of bullets coming at you. Different uh, levels, you know, uh, yeah. it could be shooting at you at any given moment. It was it was a real challenging one. You had to have some grit. Nintendo hard for sure. No question. No question. All righty, Dan. Well, uh, feeling check. How you feeling, my friend? You feeling nice and nice and toasty? Where you at? Yeah, this uh, the intense... A sensation in my face has now started to flow through my body and has crept down slowly to my the top of my shoulders and it, so it's it's settled in and uh, I treaded lightly on the dose I think it's gonna work okay yeah I love micro dosing and that's what I got going on over here um no loss of no loss of mental clarity 
Um, very much just it's it's very much a like a, a body sensation today with this pink kush. Um, a little bit of like happiness and euphoria that's kind of uh, melding into decided laziness and a desire for that couch. So um, pink kush, what a wonderful little journey. Listener questions or games you want us to play, hit us up at purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com. And do your pals Andy and Dan a favor and send this podcast to a friend and tell them just how rad we are. Yeah, tell your friend, tell your doctor, tell your dentist, tell your lawyer, all of those white-collar folks. Tell them all. And no, old Bricklay and Joe, because he gets it. Yeah. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, at Purple Dungeon Squid. Until next time, please, my friends, keep it dank. Fuck, I am high.